Father, what a blessing it is that we as your church can exalt the name of Jesus, that we can praise and worship and declare the beauty of that name, the power of that name, the joy of being able to declare your name, Jesus, in in song and in praise and in fellowship. Thank you that yours is the name above all names. Yours is the name that we declare. Yours is the name to which we bow and and to declare that you and you alone are, are our King and our God. And we honor you. We reverence you. We surrender to that authority. And it's, it's such a joy to be able to declare that name freely in our country, to declare that name freely here in this place. And we do pray, Lord, that you would receive that, how your name is magnified in our heart. Your name is magnified, Lord, in this building. Your name is magnified in our lives. And and we do pray that if it's not to the degree that you've called us to, that this morning your word would challenge us. It would challenge us, Lord, that we would live a life that people would see our deeds. They would see our works and they would glorify you, our Father. They would exalt you, Jesus, that we would be able to say, oh, may our Lord Jesus richly bless you. They would understand who our God is and what you have done in our lives and what you continue to do in our lives. So in this way, be exalted, be exalted, Father. Just glorify your son as he's asked. And may we, Father, see that glory and be a part of that glory as we recognize, Jesus, you are the one who's ushered in this kingdom. You are the one who's made it all possible. It was your death on the cross that has purchased our sins and and made us right with you and right with the Father. And you've made us children. You've made us friends. You've given us an inheritance. And so be exalted. Truly, Jesus, we ask that your name would be exalted, not just on our lips, that it would be methodical or or in rote, but it would be exalted in our hearts and in our minds and, and our desire to see you lifted up and glorified. Oh, do the work in our hearts. Do the work through your word. We ask it in Jesus' name and all the saints of God said, amen. amen. Well, it almost sounded like a sermon, didn't it? I'm telling you, to hear that worship, to hear his name exalted is just a beautiful, beautiful thing. Well, we do have a sermon this morning, though. We do have a message that God, I do believe, is, is, is going to challenge us with. Last Wednesday, we went through the entirety of John chapter 17. And as we went through that entirety, we, we looked at you know, basically as Jesus prayed for himself, as he prayed for his disciples, and of course he prayed for us, the church, and then he included us and the disciples all in a prayer as well. And what I want to do is I want to focus on just one aspect. Basically, I want to focus on the ends of the sandwich. And what I mean by this is there's two verses that basically are like the the two pieces of bread that everything else is sandwiched within. And I want to show you those two ends, because if you want the the middle part, if you want the meat of that sandwich, then, you know, just tune into Wednesday's um, study, and then you can get the meat of it. But we were looking at when Jesus was praying for his disciples, 
And we looked at this display, if you will, of leadership, what Jesus actually did in those seven statements that he had declared, these are the things that I do for my disciples. These are the things that I do to see them grow. These are the things that I do to draw them closer to you, Father. And we looked at those seven things that Jesus did to bring the those that God put in his path closer to the Father. And I don't know if you've ever had a desire in your life to see those who God has put in your life draw closer to him. And I'll tell you what, when, when, he, when he brings people in your life and you want to see those people draw closer to God, it's your heart to see them draw closer to God, then, then Jesus really opens up a beautiful way of those seven statements to see, to do a work in us to see them draw near to God. To be honest with you, so often the church and so often Christians just focus on let me just change you and challenge you and tell you what you should do and how you should do it and all these things that, that we literally, in, the, in a reality sense, we don't try to draw them in a relationship with God. What we do is we take our relationship and we try to pawn it off on them and we make our relationship into their religion. You need to do this and you need to do that and you got to stop doing this. And we do all those things where Jesus had made these seven statements where he said first and foremost there in verse seven, now, you know, that, uh, or verse six, he says, I've magnified your name. I love that point where he says, I, I, I've just, I magnified, I have displayed your character. And I think if you want to see others grow in their faith, what a great thing to do. You live the life. You are the one that needs to walk it. Don't tell them what they should do. Example what they should do. I love what Paul said. Just, just listen, follow me as I follow Christ. Example me as I example Christ. That's the heart. Let, let your life be that example. Don't just let your mouth be the dictator. Do this, do this, don't do this. But let your life, and I love what Jesus said, I've magnified your name. My life has exalted your character. And then he would go on, of course, in verse 8, when he says, listen, for those of you've given me in the world, or no, he says in verse 9, uh, oh yeah, he says, I've given to them the words which you've given me, verse 8. He says, I, I've given them just basically your heart. I, I've revealed to them your heart. And, and so I love the fact that he gives them the, the directions of God. And, and it's just a beautiful thing, the evidence of who Christ really was. I love the fact he says, listen, just the words I speak even are not even my own. All that the Father gives me, those are the things that I speak. And I love the fact that he would, you know, like, like Paul would say, listen, I have not ceased to declare the whole counsel of God. And I think it's important that you live it, and then you let them know this is the word that has transformed me. Not this is the word you have to do, but when you declare the word, I think it's important to let them know, why do you do these things that you do? This is the word that's transformed me. This is the word that's guided me. This is the word that draws me closer to the Lord. And I think it's important for us to give a reason. To give a, literally a reason for what it is that God has done in us. What he's doing through us. And so it's important to not only magnify the name, live out the character of God. But then in verse 8, give them the words. 
Tell them why it is that you do what you do, how God through his word has given you power and direction and insight. And then, of course, in verse 9, he says, I pray for them. I pray for them. I don't simply just just put their name on a list and declare the list. I literally, my heart is knit to them, and I am concerned for them, and I bring them before the throne. I literally, in the Spirit, draw them, and I speak the, 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 the power of God into their lives, and the truth of God into their lives, and the light of God into their lives, and I pray for them. I don't just simply declare to them, but I bring those things before God. I bring their lives before God. And it was just such a beautiful thing that he had mentioned there. And then, of course, where he says there in verse 12, he says, and I've kept them in your name. And and I love that. The very actions that we do seek to preserve them. That, That what you do is you lead them into that directive of God and the life of God and the light of God and the life that comes in God. No, don't, don't let my life bring them into those things that they cause distraction and death. And so I think it's so important. I keep them in your name. I've kept them. And it's such a beautiful thing. It says, while I was with them in the world, I kept them in your character. I I tried to draw them through my own life into your character. And then, of course, he says in verse 14, I've given them your word. And then, of course, that's not the the plurality where I've given them your words like in verse 8, but I gave them your word in the singular, that revelation, that singular, perfect revelation of Jesus Christ. Isn't that the most beautiful thing you can give anyone? It's Christ in me, the hope of glory. I want to show you him. I want to show you who he is and what he's done. And, and of course, then he says in, in verse 17, sanctify them by your truth. And I want them to know that God has sanctified them. God has done the work. God has completed that work in that sanctification process. And so I love that that function because there's two aspects of sanctification. And we'll look at that a little bit this morning because one aspect of sanctification is where God has done it all. There's nothing left for you to do. There's nothing left for me to do. It's simply that God has absolutely completely through the work of Jesus Christ, his death on the cross, God has sanctified us. There's also this process that, yes, God has completely sees us as sanctified, sees us as perfect, but then there's this work where God is daily doing a sanctification process. This is where where we become a part of what God does as well. And so it's important to note that there's this complete sanctification that is done through the work of Jesus Christ. But then there's this daily sanctification, and that's what Jesus goes in in this passage in John 17, verse 19, says, for their sakes I sanctify myself. Jesus, God in the flesh, says, for their sakes I sanctify myself. I draw closer and closer every day to you. And I love the fact that he's not content to say, oh, I'm I'm already God. I'm already your son. I'm already here. He he says, I sanctify myself. I let them see your spirit and your word working in me, drawing me to whatever it is that you have for me for this day. Those are the things that I do. And, And I love the fact that there's this sanctification process that Jesus himself says, I sanctify myself. So we're not going to go into the fullness of what that whole sandwich is, that whole, you know, basically that hero sandwich is full of this meat. We did that for the most part on on Wednesday, but I want to look at the two ends. 
I want to look at verse 6 and I want to look at verse 19. Because those two are basically the, the two things that hold everything in. And if you note that and you recognize that in your life, all these other things will be part of that sandwich. But you've got to recognize that these two things are what you have to grasp onto. These are the things that you hold on to. They're the two ends of the sandwich or the two pieces of bread, if you will. They're the things that will draw us into life. The first verse seven or verse six says, I have magnified your name. I've magnified your name, he says, to the men whom you have given me out of the world. They were yours. This is a beautiful thing where he says, I've magnified your name. I have exampled your name. And, and I have literally, basically the, the term means I've shined your character. This is a beautiful thing to say, does your walk shine the very character of God? If people were to look at your life, not, not, not just here on Sunday morning, but if they were to look at your life there on Monday, during work, Friday evening, Saturday, would, you, would they be able to say that your life shines the Father? Or would they even question, do you even know the Father? And I think it's important to recognize that he says, I magnify your name. I shine out your character to the men whom you have given me out of the world. Keep in mind that we recognize that anyone that God puts into your life, you become a steward in that relationship. To every person that God puts in your life, whether it's a spouse or a child or a friend or family, God puts them in your life and you become a steward in this relationship. And the key to the steward is what? To show them, it's not me, it's the Father. It's, it's not me that's in charge of this. It's the Father. I want you to know the Father because I'm a steward. I'm, I'm part of who he is in this kingdom, and he's directing me. He's leading me. And I think it's so important to, to recognize his desire is to, above all things, reveal the Father. There's a passage in Exodus I don't want you to turn there, but I want you to listen to it. If you're a note taker, you can jot it down. But in Exodus chapter 28, verse 29, what that does is this. It gives me insight to what Jesus is doing here to the disciples. In Exodus chapter 28, verse 29, it simply declares this. So Aaron shall bear the names of the sons of Israel on the breastplate of judgment over his heart when he goes into the holy place as a memorial before the Lord continually. The high priest would wear a very interesting thing on his garment. It was called the, um, it was called the, the breastplate. And within this breastplate, it would just be a piece of cloth, and there would have 12 stones on it. And each stone would have a representation of each of the tribes of the, the children of Israel. And it's absolutely amazing that within this, that they would, you know, have the, the names of the son engraved on each of the stones, but it would always be what? Above his heart. He would walk into the sanctuary and he would have the names of the tribes engrave upon these stones, these precious stones 
that God would say, these are beautiful, precious stones, and that's how I see my children. And he has them upon his heart when he goes into the most holy place. He has them upon his heart when he goes in before the Lord. This is huge. Do you realize what Jesus is doing? He has his disciples upon his heart, not just with an ephod, but literally there upon, written on his heart. He has the names of those that he loves, and he brings them upon his heart before the Father. This is the key. If you want to see people come to know the Lord in a deeper, more intimate way, then come before the Father, but but put their names upon your heart. Write them, engrave them, make sure that you bring them upon your heart before the Lord. This is huge. Do you have a desire, a true desire to see holiness and sanctification in their lives? then it's important to say, I want to magnify this character. I want to example this character. I want to shine out the character of the Father. But at the same time, in order to do that, in order to really manifest this character of God, I need to, verse 19, I need to sanctify myself. I've got to let God engrave his character upon my life. He's going to do that first and foremost through his spirit, through his word, a work that he does, but at the same time, there's a work that I need to do as well. And it's so important that what what Jesus does is, is kind of what God did in the Old Testament. Understand that God, in two ways, revealed his name to Moses. One, when, when he was there with Moses, he, he gave them, in a sense, he gave Moses his governmental name. There in Exodus chapter 3, when the burning bush was there, God said to Moses, tell them that I am that I am sent me. Moses, who is it? Here's my governmental name. I am. The I am. And Jesus so wonderfully took that I am statement and made seven of them in the scriptures. I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the door. I am the good shepherd. I am the, 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 the way, the truth, and the life. And I love that. I am the vine that you have to come into. I am the resurrection life. All these things, the statements that he's made to draw us into himself. Where Jesus says, look, you want to see the Father? Look to me. You want to know the I am? I am. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And it's important that when we come to this place and we want to reveal the Father to people, I need to let the Word of God sanctify me. One, God's going to do a work, but there's a work that I need to do as well. And it's important to recognize that within the sanctification process. So what God would do is he would reveal to Moses his governmental name. I am. And the way that it is, I love it. There's a passage in the Amplified Bible that refers to that same passage, and it declares it this way. When God says, I am that I am, the Amplified Version reads this. I am that I am and what I am, and I will be what I will be. The translation is this. I will become anything you need me to become to draw you closer to me. 
The catch is this. He doesn't just become everything we need him to become. He's not a genie in in the Bible that you rub your poof open and now God's going to answer your prayers. He doesn't become everything you need him to become, but he comes everything you need him to become to what? To draw us closer to him. That's why Jesus would say, I'm the bread of life. Partake of me and have I'm the light of the world. I'm going to take you from darkness into light. I, I am this, this amazing door. I am the good shepherd. I'm going to protect you and watch over you. And I'm going to give you access to the Father. All these things he's done. And I think it's important to recognize that there is this governmental name of God. But there's also so beautifully and so perfect an intimate personal name. Moses, in Exodus chapter 33, actually said, God, I want to see your glory. And God said this, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to, I'm going to show you, I'm going to declare to you my glory. What I'm going to do is I'm going to put you in the cleft of the rock and put my hand over. I'm going to pass by and I'm going to declare the name of the Lord. And he says, merciful, long-suffering, full of goodness and truth. And he declares his, his intimate name, the personal name. So understand that you can have a name of God that's governmental, a name of God that's authoritative, but there's also a name that's what? That's intimate. Yes, we call him our father in heaven, but I love it how the scripture says Abba. The, the term is daddy. Do you understand? That's not authoritative, that is government, that is intimate, and that is beautiful. Now, now, when your children have to call you father, yes, father, yes, sir, no, sir, when you do that, that's pretty much authoritative. But when they come, they go, daddy, wow, that's intimacy. Do you understand the difference? And he declares both of these names. Both of them are true. Both of them are necessary. Both of them, for us, we have to gravitate to. And so when we understand this name, what what we recognize is that Jesus has declared in the most beautiful and intimate way the very name of the Father. He's declared his character, both in his intimacy, but at the same time his authority. And I love what Jesus does because Jesus, in a very real sense, wants us to understand how he's manifested the name. Now, one of the ways that he's done is this, simply declared the name, which is beautiful, but he also did this, said, I am the manifestation of who he is. And then in the way that he says, I'm the manifestation, understand, he makes a statement in John 14, verse 11, he says, believe me that I am in the Father and the Father in me, or else believe me for the sake of the works themselves. Do you understand? He didn't just simply state the words. He lived the words. He didn't just state this is who the Father is. He lived this is who the Father is in me. And I think this is so huge and so important in the manifesting of who Jesus Christ is. In the declaration of who Jesus Christ is. There's a passage, and I want you to just to be aware of it, because in the scriptures, in Matthew chapter 5, verse 16, Jesus makes this beautiful statement as he begins to teach the, the, the crowd that has come to him. He says this, let your light so shine, Matthew 5, 16, before men. In other words, shine, manifest 
This is what he says. I've manifested. I've shined your nature. He says, let your light so shine before men that they see your good works, what it is that you actively do. However, they, he says this, and they glorify your father in heaven. They see your works and recognize this isn't who you are, but this is who God in you is. And this is so needed and so necessary when it comes to the manifesting of the very character of God through our lives. And as we manifest those things, there's a reality of how those things look. And and it's an amazing thing. Um, I don't know why it was, but Tim had stolen my, 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 my references this morning on the first service. So I don't know why the Spirit gave them to him because they were mine to give to you. But for those of you in the first service, you're going to get a double dose of this. Because the key to how it looks is this. In Matthew chapter 25, verses 34 and verse 41, Jesus does this comparison where he says, the king will say to those on the right hand, come, you blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation. He says, because I was all these things and you ministered to me. And in verse 40, he says, listen, when you did it to the brethren, you did it to me. And then in verse 41, he will say to those on the left hand, depart from me, you cursed in the everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angels because I had all these needs and you didn't do it. And, and so he makes a statement. He says, listen, if you didn't do it to the least of those, what it means is you didn't do it to me. So there's this outward action revealing what? The inward heart. And when you do it, you're revealing the heart. When you don't do it, you're not revealing the heart. So do you understand that part of this manifesting is our actions? It's what we do. It's what he's done in us, yes, first and foremost, but it's also what we do. And this is here where Jesus had made, I have manifested. Believe me or else believe me for the works For the things that I've done, believe the works. When you see the works, you're going to glorify the Father in heaven. And that's what scripture declares. When Jesus did a work, they glorified God. They were praising God. They were exalting God. And I love the heart because this is the key to what it is when we manifest. When we manifest his name, when we manifest his character. But the key to manifesting that character is this. Verse 19. How do you manifest? You manifest the character in this, in growing and allowing the Spirit of God, the Word of God, the moving of God to change my life from being what I used to be into what He's now made me to be. Do you understand? The things that I used to do, I I don't want to do those things anymore. Now I want to do these other things. I don't want to live the life that I used to live. I want to live a new life that represents you. That is sanctification. And and it means to be set apart. It means to be, um, in a sense, consecrated and dedicated to God. There's a passage, and I want you to be aware of it. Two verses to jot down if you're note takers, found in Hebrews chapter 10. And in Hebrews chapter 10, two verses I want you to look at. The first is verse 10, and the second is verse 14. There in Hebrews 10.10. 10. 
The author of Hebrews makes this declaration. And the declaration is about being sanctified. Now, when he says in verse 10, by that will, we have been sanctified. It means that this is something that you didn't do, that God did. So understand, there's two aspects of sanctification. One is God sees you as sanctified. He sees you as absolutely perfect. God sees you as righteous because of the work of Jesus Christ. And this is what Hebrews 10.10 says. By that will, we have been sanctified. What will? Well, the the will where where Jesus says in Hebrews 10.7, Behold, I have come in the volume of the book it is written of me to do your will. Jesus followed the directives of God. He did the directives of God. He went to the cross because this is what God says. This is the redemption of mankind. Without the shedding of blood, there will be no remission of sin. You have to go to the cross. You can't die by being stoned because curses everyone who hangs upon a tree. You have to go to a cross. And the cross is going to be the salvation of all men. That there, in you, You will literally take the handwriting of the requirement that was against us. You're going to take it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. You will pay the price in full. I will depart from you. I will leave you so that I will never have to leave them. Absolutely amazing to see the work of Jesus Christ in the heart of Jesus Christ. But by that will, by his following the directives of the Father, going to the cross, dying for our sins... Hebrews 10 says, by that will we have been sanctified. Now understand, that's in the past tense. And that means you and I in the past have been sanctified. You and I were sanctified when Jesus was there on the cross and he said, it is finished. When he said that word, what does that mean? God said, it's done. They are forgiven. Their sins have all been now paid in full. You are perfect in my sight, which means what? You're consecrated, you're sanctified. By that will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. Do you understand? He died once, and that was the work of our sanctification. In Hebrews 10, 14, he says, For by one offering, this is that one offering there upon the cross, he has perfected forever. Ever those who are being sanctified. Do you understand? The, 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 it could be read this way. By his offering, what he did on the cross, he literally has sanctified forever. He's made us consecrated forever. He's made us perfect forever. He has done the permanent work forever. Those who are in the process of being sanctified. You understand that there's how God sees us. He sees us as perfect and sanctified through the work of Jesus Christ. But then as we see it, it's like, well, it's a daily process. I'm not yet what I'm going to be, but I know this. I'm not what I used to be, but when God takes me to heaven, I will be perfect. Everything that needs to pass away will be passed away. I I know that everything that's carnal in me, that carnality can't inherit eternity, that will all be taken away, and he's going to give me a spirit, this new body. It's going to be a beautiful thing in heaven. And, And this is the thing that he promises us. And it's so important to recognize that within this area 
of the sanctification that there is the statement that God has sanctified you. And I think this is that beautiful thing where within that text, when we were looking at those things that Jesus said in verse 17, sanctify them by your truth. I want them to know that God sees you as perfect. And this is what I want others to know. I want them to know that God sees you as perfect, but at the same time, I want you to recognize that there's still, although he sees you as perfect and me as perfect, there's this daily walk, this daily growing, this daily maturing in my walk that'll draw me closer. To know that here on this side of heaven, I'm not perfected. I'm always walking towards it, but I am not perfected. Anyone says that the sin no longer has, you know, um, a hold on me, recognize Bible says sin doesn't have authority over you, but it doesn't mean that it doesn't have influence over you. Do you understand? It doesn't have authority, but it does have influence. And we'll look at that in just a moment. But I think it's so important to recognize that when it comes to this area of sanctification, that what we see very simply is that there is a work that God himself does. There is a passage, and I want you to just listen as, as I read it. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, um, Wow, I can't believe that I did that. I hope it, oh, that's why I'm in Timothy when I should be in Thessalonians. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, there is a passage there in verse 3. 1 Thessalonians verse 3. And it says this, for this is the will of God. I don't know if you ever wonder, what's the will of God for my life? Well, here... Paul writes to the church of Thessalonica, and he says, this is the will of God. And so listen to what this is. This is the will of God, your sanctification. His desire is that you should draw closer every day. His desire is that you should go through this process of, of being sanctified. He says, this is the will of God, so clearly your sanctification, that you should abstain from sexual immorality. He says, this is the will of God, that you should literally start changing your body, that you should literally start changing your walk. And this is what sanctification is. Understand that there's a will that God has sanctified you, but there's also a process that you have to give yourself willingly to in the process of sanctification, that you have to actually, actually do it for the process of sanctification. Do you want to be sanctified? Then don't just sit idly back and say, okay, God, here I am, sanctify me. No, God says, I've done that, but I need you to put in some footwork too. This process of sanctification is, is a joint effort between God giving us the, the ability to pray and communicate, God giving us his word, God giving us the church, God giving us the spirit, that we can do what? We can tap into those resources to grow and to mature, but at the same time we do what? 
we have to literally give ourselves over. And this is what I love this passage. This is the will of God, your sanctification, that you should abstain, that you should avoid certain things. You should walk in other things. And so realize that when it comes to sanctification, there's two things that are are of utmost importance for you as a believer. When it comes to your sanctification, the first is this, that you have to believe. You have to believe. There's a process of sanctification that is going to be of faith, but you have to actively believe what God has said about your sanctification. You have to believe in the power of God to sanctify you. You have to believe in the promise of God that he has done in the process of your sanctification. Let me try to help that out so that you can kind of see where I'm going with this. Understand that you have to recognize that God, first and foremost, has done what? He's dealt with your sins. That's belief. You have to have that faith. God, you dealt with my sins there upon the cross. I'm forgiven. Do you understand? That's a process of your sanctification. You have to realize that when you do sin, that the enemy says, oh, now now God has nothing to do with you. No, no, because... He is the accuser of the brethren. Like he accused Joshua and Zechariah, and he accuses us there in Revelation 12. He's going to stand, and he's going to point out our wretchedness. But God said to Joshua, take the filthy robes off. Let's put clean robes on. This is what I do to you. We've overcome the enemy through the blood of the lamb, the washing of the blood, and the power of the testimony. It's Jesus' work, not mine. I go to God not because of who I am, not because of what I do, but only because of what Jesus Christ has done. So I have to believe in the word of God that God has dealt with my sins, that they are forever and fully paid. Oh, Christian, hold on to that truth. Knit your life to that truth. My sins have been forever and fully paid. Both. They are fully paid. They are forever paid. Nothing ever will come to my account because Jesus has done it all. But at the same time, I've got to understand that there's another aspect of the power of the word of God and the power of what Jesus Christ has done. It's found in the book of Romans. If you want, turn there. Turn to Romans chapter 6. And I want to read to you just a couple of verses in this passage I want to begin by reading in Romans 6, verses 5 and 6. Then I want to jump over to verse 11 and go down to verse 18. But here initially in Romans 6, verses 5 and 6, it makes this statement, For if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, buried with him in baptism, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection. As we've all died with Christ, we have this new resurrection power of life. You understand that there's a power that he grants us. One, the very fact that you are now dead to sin because you've now died with Christ. But when he became alive, he became alive what? With resurrection power. Do you understand that you and I as a Christian can tap into that resurrection power? That when it comes to trying to conquer sin, it's not just, oh, you know, sit down and pull up my bootstraps and stick on my work uniform and and I'm going to just muscle through the victory of sin. 
That's not the way that it works. I recognize there's a power that God has done. And so first and foremost is you have a resurrection power. You have power over sin. It does have influence over you, but it doesn't have authority. Do you understand the enemy and the temptations cannot make you sin? Because with the temptations, God says, I've given you a a window. I've given you a door. I've given you a way to escape. That we understand that when the enemy comes and he tempts us, that we have what? We have a power source. Remember when the enemy came and tempted Jesus? He said, since you are the son of God, command these stones to be bread. You haven't eaten for 40 days, 40 nights. Just, you should have, since you're God, just command these stones to be bread. And it was very tempting. But Jesus says what? Listen, it's written. Let me quote to you scripture. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. There's a greater, more beautiful truth than the lies and the temptations to shortcut what God wants. And the enemy would also say, listen, if you want the world, if you want to purchase the world, look at the world. I will give it to you. It's mine to give. I will give it to you if you only bow down and worship me. Oh, my goodness. And Jesus says, what? I'm not going to take a shortcut. There's a way that I'm going to redeem the world. It's not simply through you giving it to me. The enemy always wants us to do a shortcut. The enemy always wants us to avoid any pain or suffering. If you do this, you'll never suffer. If you do this, you won't have pain. That's a lie. You know it. But eventually what Jesus says, listen, no, 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 no. You have to understand. Depart from me. Depart from me. There's a plan that God has. And the plan that God has is through me to go through a cross and to purchase this world. I'm going to get it, but I'm not going to shortcut it. And so absolutely amazing. The enemy always wants to distort the word of God. Hey, jump off the the temple because the the word of God says the enemy will give them or the angels will give themselves charge over you lest you dash your foot against the stone. He says, listen, but it's also written, don't tempt the Lord. You understand the enemy always distorts and the enemy always wants to give some kind of, of quick or distortion or, or, or cheapening the, the path that God has. But the word of God will also always do what? Sanctify you. It'll direct you. It'll clue you into what the heart of God is. And this is why I love that passage because he says, listen, in, in, in Romans 6 verses 5 and six, he says, if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection, knowing this, our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin. Do you understand that when Jesus died, he said, you now die with me. And this power over you, this power called sin, it is done away with. Jesus, when he went to the cross, the scripture says the handwriting that was against you, he's taken it out of the way. He's removed it, having nailed it to the cross. And this is why it's so important that knowing that our old man, our carnal nature died. And because it died, he says, the, the, the body of sin might be done away with. You understand, he's saying that the sin no longer has authority. It cannot command you to sin. 
It can influence you, and you can go into sin, but it can't command you anymore because if you believe what God has said, if you believe the power, if you believe the promises that his death and resurrection means to us, we have resurrection power, new life power to avoid sin, and on top of that, sin is now done away with. Sin is dead. It no longer has authority. And it says this in verse 6, Knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin. Sin no longer has dominion. Sin no longer has authority. Sin no longer has power. I don't have to let it. It can tempt me. It can, it can push me. But I don't have to let it. Put it this way. Let's just say that you were a little kid on a playground and there was a bully on the playground. And as bullies are, they're bigger than you, they're badder than you, and they're going to push you around. And every day the bully says, give me your milk money. Now, I don't know if they still do that in school, but if you had a quarter, if you had a dime, whatever your milk money was... I guess now what it's like three eighty five a little pint, but but when you oh no that's eggs sorry, um, but when you had that he said give me your money you would do what well to stop getting pounded you'd give him the money, you have you're, you're you're a bully you're a boss you can hurt me, but let's just say this. Let's just say the bully was playing on the playground, was messing around and chasing another little kid around the jungle gym. And as he climbed up and over a monkey bar, he fell and he became paralyzed. And there he is paralyzed. And you go to see him in the hospital and he can't move. He has a neck brace on and he can't move. He's absolutely paralyzed from the the neck down. And he looks at you. And he says, give me your milk money. (laughs) What are you going to do? You can't do anything to me. You're paralyzed. What you do is this. You let him see you go through his pants, rifle through that, take your milk money back. You can't do anything. You are paralyzed here. You are inactive here. You can do nothing. That's what the power of sin is in your life. It can say, give me your, do this, do that, do these things. Well, at one point you had authority. At one point you could have done anything, but now you're paralyzed. Now you're inactive. Now you are rendered paralyzed. This is where the power of sin is now. And I love this. And this is why he says in verse 6, knowing this old man was crucified with him, the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves. No longer does it have authority. It says this in verse 11, likewise, you also reckon yourselves to be dead to sin. That nature of mind that used to want to sin, it's dead now. That's the old man. The old man is now dead. Do you understand that part of the process of sanctification is believing the word of God, believing the power that comes through the word of God? I reckon myself to be dead to sin, but then what? Now alive to God. His power working in me, his word working through me, his spirit working through me. This is where my life is. I've reckoned myself dead to sin, verse 11, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body that you should obey it in its lust. Do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead. 
and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. Do you realize that every day I said, God, this body's yours now. God, this life is yours now. God, my actions are yours now. This is huge. When you begin to walk in this truth and you recognize, I'm going to give this body to God because it's not my own. It was purchased. And so I'm going to glorify God in my body and in my spirit. It's this process of every single day giving him my life. And as we do this, as I believe his word, he goes on to say in, in verse 13, do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead, your members as instruments of righteousness to God. Verse 14, for sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under the law, but under grace. I don't have to walk the law. I just have to say, what do you want me to do today? What do you want to do in and through my life? I just want to hold your hand and walk with you. This is the joy of what he's done. And then he says in verse 15, what then shall we sin because we're not under law but under grace? Should I just walk whatever my body is? I certainly not, he says. Do you not know that to whom you present yourselves slaves to obey, you are that one slaves whom you obey, whether to sin leading to death or obedience leading to righteousness. And this is huge. It is about what? It's making a choice. I choose to do what? Walk what your word is directing me. I choose to walk what your spirit is leading me. Not what my flesh wants, not what the world wants, not what the enemy wants. I choose you. Do you understand that that's the beautiful thing about love is love chooses what? Not me. Love chooses you. This is incredible. And I think it's so important to recognize that this is where God wants to draw our hearts. And so we see here, there's a passage in Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 3. Let me read it to you. If then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. Set your minds on the things above, not on the things of earth, for you died and your life is hidden with Christ and God. Do you understand that there is, is an active thing that I'm doing, believing the word of God, that I have now have faith that I've died and now I'm there. Christ is above. I'm seeking those things above. I'm wanting those things above. That becomes my desire. And I think it's so important to recognize that when it comes to my sanctification, two things are necessary. One is belief. I have to believe in what the word of God says. I have to believe in the promises that the word of God declares that I have now victory over the authority that sin once had over my life. It can influence me, but it has no power unless I yield myself to its temptations. But I can do what? I cannot yield myself to its temptations and I can yield myself to Christ and I can yield myself to the power, that resurrection power of life. When I tap into that, sin will have no dominion. It will not have victory because Jesus Christ will give me a, a new change of my understanding, of my belief. But then he does this. He gives me a change in my desire. There was a time I desired sin. There was a time I desired those things. But understand, when it comes to desire, 
As we were reading there this morning in the book of Proverbs, to be careful that with those desires that we do not become lazy. It says in Proverbs chapter 10, verses 4 and 5, He who has a slack hand becomes poor, but the hand of the diligent makes rich. He who gathers in summer is, is a wise son, and he who sleeps in harvest is a son who causes shame. Do you want to be lazy in your spiritual growth? then do nothing. But if you want spiritual growth, guess what? you got to do something. You can't just sit passively by and say, okay, God, you're going to do all the work. If anything's going to become, it's going to be you. But I've got to actively desire the sanctification process that the word of God declares. I've got to move into that. So there's this partnership with God and what he has done, and then with me, what I am doing. Because if it's just what he has done and not what I am doing, guess what happens? Then, then it's a gift, but I don't tap into it. I've got to walk those things that he declares. I can't just be a hearer of the word. I've got to be what? A doer of the word. And so it's important to recognize that, that when it comes to this sanctification process, that he says, I, as Jesus says, for their sakes, I sanctify myself, that they also may be sanctified by the truth. There's a work that I allow you to do in me that will direct them. And so keep in mind that within the sanctification process, it's not just lip service. And I think so often as Christians, we, we, we say, okay, God, forgive me of this. But then what happens? I go right back to it. There really isn't a desire to say, get me out of this, change my mind in this, change my heart in this. When I recognize sin for what it is, as it separates me from intimacy with God, as it begins to leaven the whole lump, as it begins to affect my, my life and those in my life, and you can't say that there's a sin that you do that only affects you, that it never affects anyone else. Because when you aren't drawing closer to God in intimacy, it's affecting those around you. And when you're actively participating in sin, you can't actively participate in intimacy because you know it's a lie. Your spirit is telling you it's a lie. The spirit of God is telling you it's a lie. And so keep in mind, it's not just lip service, but it's sincerely desiring, actively pursuing the work of the Holy Spirit, the word of God, cleansing my life, changing my life. That's why God says what? Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added. It's important to recognize that there has to be a work that I allow and I choose to say, God, let your word, let your spirit do the things that it needs to do. In Romans chapter 12, jot this down, the first two verses, it says this, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. This is the key. Allowing the word of God to transform your thinking, allow it to transform your life. 
This is where it all boils down to, that there is this active pursuing where, like we read there in Romans 6.13, he says, do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin. I'm not going to give myself over to sin. It has no authority. I don't have to give it my money. I don't have to give it my obedience. No longer does sin have dominion over me. No longer does sin have authority. It, it can influence. Sin can say, give me this, do this, do that, don't do this. And I can say, no, you have no power. You're inactive. You are paralyzed. This old nature no longer is in me. I knew have this new resurrection life power in me. This is what I'm pursuing And so it's important to recognize that as Scripture begins to dictate, as Scripture begins to to lead you, that we make these choices to say, this is what I want. In Colossians 2, verse 6, jot it down. He says this, as you therefore have received Christ Jesus, so walk in him. If he's your Lord, let him hold your hand and walk with you. If he's your savior, then give yourself over to him. It's important to recognize that what we do is it's not who we used to be. It's now who we are. There's a passage that will help clarify this in the book of Ephesians chapter 4, verses 17 through 23. It makes this statement. This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord, Paul says, that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk. In other words, don't walk like you used to in the futility of their mind. Don't walk where you think, oh, this is life and this is good. No, it was darkness and death then. It's futility now. Having their understanding darkness, being alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their heart, who being past feeling have given themselves over to lewdness. They gave themselves over to their flesh to work all uncleanness with greediness. You desire that darkness and sin in your life. As a Christian, if you think you're desiring this darkness or sin, then you're deceived in a way because you should be desiring the light. You should be desiring light. And it makes a statement, but not that you should do as they do, no longer walking as the rest of the world does, but it says this, but you have not so learned Christ if indeed you have heard him and have been taught for him, and as the truth is in Jesus Christ that you put off concerning your former conduct, the old man which grows corrupt according to the deceitfulness of lust, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind. See, there's a putting off of an old conduct, putting on this new conduct, putting on this new understanding, where I'm no longer going to be just a hearer of the word, but I'm going to become a doer of this world. Of this word. And so we, we recognize that I know what brings about growth. I know what brings about maturity. And this is what I'm pursuing. And that's why James says, You lay aside all filthiness and the overflow of wickedness. Receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourself. If anyone's a hearer only, he says, He's like a, a, a natural man, a man observing his natural face in the mirror. He observes himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. 
when the Spirit of God begins to show you sin in your life that you need to separate from, when you go right back out and do it, you're like that man in the mirror. The, the word of God will show you the reality of who you are. And I want you to understand that when it comes to this maturing, when it comes to this desiring for sanctification, four things. And now you're saying, wait, now you get into a list of things to do? Yes, now there's four things, but they're four quick things. Things that brings about sanctification, things that brings about maturity. The first thing is this, prayer. If you want to be sanctified, Jesus said, I I pray for them. Do you pray? Because what prayer does is this, is prayer is going to direct my heart. Prayer is going to direct my mind to God. And, And what happens is when there's a temptation and I pray, guess what? Prayer is going to lead me away from that temptation. Because without prayer, without going to God, that temptation says, this is the right thing to do. But when I pray and I go to God and his word says, no, it's not. Do you understand? Prayer is power. And if you want to grow in your faith, if you want to grow, keep in mind that communicate with God. Talk to God. Recognizing, Lord, without you, I can do nothing. But with you, all things are possible. And I want to open up my heart and open up my life and share these things with you. I want to share the struggles and ask for your power. And know that if I ask for your power, guess what? You're going to give me the power to avoid these things. You're going to become what I need you to become so I can have victory over these things. And so if you want to see yourself growing and maturing, if you want to see this process of sanctification going in your life, then may I counsel you to pray. Just pray. And and I don't mean just simply pray over your meals, but pray. Seek God earnestly. Seek God sincerely. Open up your heart and and, and cry out to God all these things. One, in worship of him, in adoration of him, but that your need of him, that I need you to overcome this. The next thing is this. After prayer, it's the word. And it's so important is that the word of God is going to teach us truth from deception. My, 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 my mind and the world and the enemy says, here's a lie. And the word of God says, here's truth. The, the word of God is going to bring me light instead of darkness. This is it. The word of light, the word of God is going to bring me life away from death. The word of God is going to bring me holiness away from sin. This is why Jesus in our text in John 17, 17 says, sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. Do you understand? The word of God becomes light. The word of God becomes, you know, truly life to me. And this is where it's important. When I want to see sanctification in my life, I need to pray. I need to become someone who prays. And I need to become someone who's in the word of God. Now, 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 keep in mind that you could be forever in the word of God and, and not let it affect you, not let it change you. It's the word of God that has to transform your mind and transform your thinking and transform your life. And so it's important that take some time in sincere and earnest prayer. Take some time in sincere and earnest desire to be in the word. Let the word of God dwell in you richly. These are the things that we do. The other thing that does an act of sanctification is this. Living 
and ministering in the body of Christ. Let me say that again. This here time is sanctification. Before service, sanctification. After service, sanctification. Do you understand? Iron sharpens iron. This is where we are, that we are here, and we recognize that seeing others and being with others, and I'm going to see something in your life that my spirit is craving. I'm going to see an aspect of what you are doing that's drawing you closer to the Lord. I want that in my life. And I look to you, and I begin to imitate you as you're imitating Christ, and this is the key, that I use the body of Christ the ministry within the body of Christ, the service to say what? I'm a steward here, and I want to give something back to what you've given to me. And so it's so important to say that I'm living in this body of Christ. I'm ministering in this body of Christ. And I don't necessarily mean that you all have to have a ministry actively that you do, but the ministry is this. Talk to people and then pray for the people you've talked to. Lift them up before the Lord. Encourage them in the word. Encourage them in the spirit. This is the life. And so pray, yes, be in the word, yes, but be in this body and let the body challenge you. It's one of these things that people say, you know what? I'm going to be a Christian in my own house. Now I'll listen and I'll tune in online and I'll listen to the live stream and I'll do that. But understand that if you're not among Christians... When you're among Christians, you're going to see one thing happen. They are going to grate on you. They are going to do things, and you are going to see in them part of you that you don't like. And when you see that sin nature, and you're like, oh, man, my sin looks so ugly on you. And that's what Romans says. When you see sin in someone, it's probably because you're so aware of it, you can see it. There are certain sins that I see in other people that are just evident. Like, wow, I know what that is. I know what that is. I know an angry person, and you can't mask it from me. Why? Because I spent so long in my life being angry, and now my heart still wants to be angry, and I know how deep that anger is and that, that, that bitterness that comes with that anger. I know that, and I can see that so easily in people because it's my sin. So understand, if you're seeing things that are grating on you, just go before the Lord and say, wow, is this part of my life? Why do I see that so clearly? Because it's a mirror. And I need to look at that mirror. I need to believe that that's what it is. And so living and ministering in the body of Christ. And then the last thing is this. Trusting and allowing the Holy Spirit to direct and lead us. It's so important to let the word of God begin to lead us into where the heart is. There's a passage, I just want to read it to you, in Hebrews chapter 9, verses 13 through 14. It makes this statement, For if the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of heifers and the sprinkling of the unclean sanctifies for the purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot, from God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. Do you understand? The Spirit is going to cleanse you. The Spirit is going to show you where the blood of Christ has given you victory. The Spirit is going to show you where, where this is God and how he is victorious in these things. And I recognize that's what it is. There, there's a passage to recognize where this, this allowing the Spirit to move. 
Still in the book of Hebrews, chapter 8, I want to start reading in verse 6. I'm going to read down to verse 13 so you can kind of grasp this. Is But now he has obtained a more excellent ministry inasmuch as he is also the mediator of the better covenant, which was established on better promises. There was this old covenant and this old promise called the law. But he says this in verse 7, if that first covenant had been faultless, then no place would have been sought for a second because finding fault with them, he said, behold, the days are coming, says the Lord. I'll make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day when I took them by the hand and I led them out of the land of Egypt because they did not continue my covenant. I disregarded them, says the Lord, for this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws in their minds and write them on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. You understand it's not a list of do's and don'ts. Now it's a direction of being led by the Spirit. And then he makes a statement. So none of them shall teach his neighbor saying, Know the Lord, for all shall know me from the least to the greatest. And I will be merciful to their unrighteousness and their sins and their lawless deeds. I will remember no more. And that he says a new covenant. He's made the first obsolete. Now what is becoming obsolete is growing old is ready to vanish away. It's no longer we live according to the law. Although... We do recognize that it isn't the law that we do anymore, but we do see where, where Jesus had made that statement in John 14, verse 15. He said very simply, if you love me, keep my commandments. If you love me, let me lead you. If you love me, hold my hand and let me guide you. This is that process of sanctification, trusting him and his leading and his leadership. So it's just an important word for us that we're that, that sandwich of everything that comes in between. He says, listen, shine his name. But in order to truly shine the name, you have to allow the sanctification process in your life. Believe the promises and the power the word of God says and then desire it. You have to actually participate in what God is showing you because if you don't participate, if you think I can be lazy and just let it infuse me, God can do some of the work. But if you really want to grow, you've got to actively participate. You've got to actively move in these things. It's amazing that, you know, we, we, we saw our children grow and now we're seeing our grandchildren grow. But there's active participation. You, 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 you help them to walk. You hold their hands while they walk and then you see them walk. You, you set them on the bike and you guide them until they're able to ride on their own. You teach them right from wrongs. They participate in the family day after day after day. And then comes that point where you say, wow, you're ready to go out on your own. You, you are mature enough and you've grown enough and now, now you can begin to walk these things. And that's what we do. This is what the Lord says. Now, he says, don't ever leave my hand. Don't ever leave my love. Don't ever leave my presence. But, but you're able now. You're maturing. You're growing. But you actively have to participate in that. If the child never gets on a bike and begins to do it, it'll never know how to ride. It'll never understand the balance. It'll never until it gets on it, it has to participate. These are the things that God is teaching you and me. Participate in the work that he's doing. Give yourselves over, amen? 
Well, Father, we are so grateful for this word, so grateful for your heart, and we do want to be those who participate. We do want to be those who are sanctified by your truth. And so we ask that you would guide us, you would lead us, you would mature us, you would do the things that only you can do. Allow, Lord, these times of prayer to be intimate and sweet and powerful. Allow the time that we spend in your word to recognize this is life and this is power. And you've given me authority, victory over sin in my life and no longer has authority. It can point it out. It can influence. It can, it can tempt me, but it can't have a victory. You, Lord, has given me victory. And so we want to be part of this body and grow and mature and, and, and see you in others and want to be that that we see as they draw closer to you and have an intimate vibrant relationship we want those things in our lives as well and then teach us lord teach us to yield to your spirit teach us to give ourselves over to your leading and your power as we surrender just knowing that you will guide us and lead us into light and truth and life so do these things lord as we become active participants with you in this beautiful thing called sanctification, that as we allow you to sanctify us, then those that we love will see your working in us and will desire that same thing. That we don't have to mandate to them, but they will see it and understand that this is life, this is love, this is victory, and they would want it as well. And we can guide them into that same thing. That, that as your spirit, as your word, as prayers, all these things have brought us closer to you. That we can draw them closer as well. And see you glorified in that. And we can participate in that glory. So do the work we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen.